0: Good afternoon, everyone. So I want to make it very clear, so what our sort of theme of today's homily is this. Catholics, we as Catholics, are not fundamentalists. What do I mean by that? A fundamentalist is someone who adheres to a strict, literal interpretation of Scripture. As Catholics, we indeed believe Scripture is the inspired Word of God. And there are certain things in the Bible we should take literally. But we also recognize that there are certain things that are to be read symbolically, allegorically. That we're supposed to see different genres within the Scriptures. And we use our reason along with our faith to be able to discern and figure these things out. Of course, also along the guidance of of the magisterium of the church and so what i want to do is present two different examples of this ways that we can have that mature understanding of scripture and to avoid any falling into a trap of fundamentalism the first is with the first reading which is the second creation story in genesis taken from genesis chapter two and three Two weeks ago, if you remember my homily, I talked about the fact that there are two different creation stories, creation accounts in the book of Genesis. How do we know this? This is what I want to explore a little bit today. How do we know that there are two stories, it's not just one? Well, this is where we use our reason to understand this fact. The first is a question I love to ask people when I give this talk. Did God create in Genesis the animals and then man, or man, then the animals? If you think about it, a lot of people will say he created man last. He created him on the seventh day. And you know what? You're right. But you're also wrong. Because there are two creation stories In the first creation story, the one we talked about a few weeks ago, animals are created before man. Man is the apex of creation. But in the second creation story, Genesis 2 and 3, man is created first, and then animals are created after to be that potential companion for Adam. And so we see that they're radically contradictory. You can go on YouTube and find some fundamentalists who try to show they're not contradictory. It doesn't work that way. We follow Occam's razor. The most logical, easiest answer is usually the right one. The easiest answer is, guess what? They're two different stories, not just one account. The second is, is if we read them, we're going to see they're two radically different styles, arguably by two different authors. The first one we talked about from that priestly source is very organized. God is there. There's nothing. He separates the light from the darkness, the, world, the waters from the land, and finally on the seventh day he creates man. A very ordered, structured, very sort of almost cold liturgical rendering of the creation story. But the second creation story is a lot different. It's got a lot of color. It has an anthropomorphic God is walking through the Garden of Eden. It draws from a lot of the themes of other early Mesopotamian myths. And so it looks like it was written by a completely different author for a completely different purpose, and as we'll see, at a completely different time. But the thing in the third part that I think is the most important to look at to really show this demonstration that we have two different accounts is if you take your Lumen Chrissy missile and you go to the readings on page 423, and I encourage you to pick it up. Look, I'm Baptist preacher telling you, look at your Bible. And I want you to look at something that most Catholics have never noticed before. Might even freak you out. Look at that first reading on page 423. The first line, after the man, Adam, had eaten of the tree, the Lord God called to the man. Look at the word Lord. What do you notice a little bit different about it? It's all in caps. Why is that? In fact, if you look at the rest of the reading, every time it says the word Lord, it's all in caps. Why? Because, of course, we know the Bible was not written in English. It was originally written in Hebrew. And that word, when you see Lord all in caps, the Hebrew word is the Tetragrammaton. It is Yahweh, the name of God, which is originally written down. But as time went on, because of the commandment not to take the name of the Lord in vain, they substituted it with the word another word so that you didn't even write the name of God down. But if you look at Genesis chapter 1, if you pull out your Bible, you will see God and Lord, but it's not the same word. It's not in caps. Because in the Hebrew, the word is Elohim. It's next to Yahweh, the most common word for describing God. And so why do we have two different accounts? The argument is going to be as you've got two different authors who use two different words for God. The first account, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, was probably written after the Babylonian captivity, or at least during it, by the priestly source. It actually comes after the second account. The second account arguably comes first, was a, was a creation account that was passed on from generation to generation where they originally didn't have the problem of using Yahweh. But eventually, because the the, the, the Jews became more liturgical and the priests had more authority, they took and substituted Yahweh for another word. And so what we call the redactor, the person who was inspired to put it together, had these two separate accounts and brought them both together, showing that we can have two different accounts that tell two different very, very important stories. So understanding this, that you've got two stories that contradict each other. They were written at two different times by two different authors, but we're still inspired by God. We begin to use our common sense. We don't take it literally. It's not an historical account. We cannot fall in the trap of taking our own desire to read history and everything in a very chronological order and put it back 2,500 years ago. It's not the proper way of reading Scripture because both of these accounts are myths. Now, I want to be very, very clear. When I'm using the word myth, I'm not using the word myth in that we normally use it, that a myth is something false or fake. It's a myth. It's not real. Please, no one told and tell anybody, oh, Father said the Bible's not true. I'm not saying that at all. In fact, I have this recorded so you know that you can't say that. <laughs> when I say that, Myth is a type of genre. It's a type of writing in ancient cultures that they would use, particularly talk about things that happened a very, very long time ago, not to give an historical account, but to tell or convey deeper truths about the nature of creation, about the dignity of the human person, about why evil exists in the world, or about other different topics. It's used to convey a much deeper truth just in a different way. And the Catechism alludes to this. If you look to chapter 289, talking about these deeper truths and these creation myths, it says that, it's, uh, that the myths, the purpose of these two accounts, are to tell us about the world's origins, its end in God, its order and goodness, the vocation of man, and finally the drama of sin and the hope of salvation. It's not there to give us an historical account. We're not supposed to read it literally. Cardinal Ratzinger, who became Pope Benedict, says that these creation myths, these biblical narratives, represent another way of speaking about reality than that which we are familiar with from physics and biology. We're not supposed to take it literally. It doesn't mean that God didn't create it. It doesn't mean that there wasn't a first man and a first woman. It doesn't mean that sin doesn't exist. But it's the way we approach it, not as fundamentalists, but as Catholics, recognizing two different stories written at two different times by two different authors for two different audiences and for two different purposes. That's the first part of today's homily. The second one jumps ahead of the gospel when we learn even more about how we are not fundamentalist. And it's that passage at the very end of the gospel where people allude to Jesus' brothers and sisters, plural, brothers and sisters. And if we're going to read this literally as many of our fundamentalist brothers and sisters do. They'll say, Jesus had brothers and sisters. Mary wasn't a virgin. You Catholics are crazy. You're not reading the Bible properly. And indeed, let's try to see if this is indeed true. Let's take it literally. Let's look at this argument. If indeed Jesus did have brothers and sisters, what I want to respond to is, Let's try to understand, then, the crucifixion of Jesus. The four accounts of the crucifixion of Jesus. Not a single one of them have Jesus' brothers or sisters there. It's Mary, it's John, and it's a handful of different women. His brothers and sisters, you would expect, would be there, but they're not. Now, the argument could be, oh, well, they're not there because they died. Well, let's look at that. They would have been younger than Jesus. We know Jesus was the firstborn. And they're taught they alive at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. This is Mark chapter 3. So let's give it three years. He would have at least have had to have two brothers and two sisters if they're plural. The chances of people being so young, dying all within the course of four years, and it not being mentioned in Scripture is somewhat highly implausible for me to believe. Now, you may say, all right, well, they weren't there. They were on vacation. They were traveling. That argument doesn't work either. Why? Because Jesus was crucified during Passover. Every Jew had to be in Jerusalem in order to offer the sacrifice. They would have had to have been there. So what happened? Why weren't they there? Did they fall away from the practice of the faith? Did they leave the Jewish faith? Were they mad at Jesus and Mary? That can't be the answer either. Jesus was the Son of God. Mary was was married. She was loving and kind and caring. That doesn't work either. And so we can look at that and see it doesn't make any sense why the brothers and sisters would be there unless Jesus didn't have any brothers and sisters. Now... The even more powerful argument is the fact that we know that when Jesus was dying on the cross, what did he say? Mary, behold your son, son, behold your mother, to Mary and John. Whenever there was a widow in the Old Testament, it was the duty of the children to provide for and care for the widow. Jesus was the eldest son, would have arguably been caring for Mary. He's going to die and ascend into heaven. So there's nobody else to take care of mary there are no brothers and sisters because if there were why would he have given mary to john as his mother and him as her son doesn't make any sense unless you understand that jesus didn't have any brothers and sisters and so he was providing for his mother by allowing her in a sense to adopt john all of these things put together give us some pretty clear evidence that Jesus was the only child. It doesn't make any sense otherwise. But the only way you're going to be able to understand that is if you get out of the fundamentalist, literalistic interpretation of Scripture and apply your reason and try to see it in a much more holistic perspective. So, what is the message of today? The message is quite simply. We as Catholics are not fundamentalists which means we are called to use our intellect to try to ask questions, to understand and probe the faith. We are not called to be mindless automatons. We are not brainwashed, nor do we follow in blind obedience. Indeed, we obey Christ, we follow the teaching of the church, but we want to seek understanding of the faith. One of the most famous passages from the early church is the Latin phrase, Fides quaerens Intellectum, faith seeking understanding. We have faith, but we want to seek understanding about the nature of scripture, about the reality of, of our Lord and his, his mother, all of these different things. We completely understand it, no, we won't. There are a lot of really, really deep mysteries, but it doesn't mean we say, oh, I'm not gonna understand it, I'm just gonna believe blindly whatever the Bible says. We as humans have been given that intellect creating the image and the likeness of God. Let's apply it in faith, better understand our faith, and draw closer to Christ both with our minds and our hearts. Amen.